0: On this episode of the Presser Wine Prince Lyrics Podcast, we'll be discussing one of Prince's most enduring B-sides. She's always in my hair. She's always in my hair is the B-side to Raspberry Beret, and our lyrical focus for this episode. Joining me to parse through the lyrics is Leslie Ballard. Welcome back to the show, Leslie.
1: Thanks, Jason. It's good to be back.
0: Good to have you. Good to have you as always. Uh, we collaborated last on the beautiful ones, which was another beloved song that was a non-single from the Purple Rain album and you know before that we did All the Critics Love You in New York so we've done quite a, a ver- nice variety of songs so far <laughs> I would say
1: yes good ones
0: <laughs> what um in particular with this song she's always in my hair you know being the b-side to the biggest hit song off of Around the World in a Day album did you have any recollection of this song when it was initially released? Or when did you become familiar with She's Always In My Hair?
1: I first became familiar with it on uh, the hits and the B-sides. Um, I was a little bit young when it originally released to have uh, you know picked up the first time. I had Around the World in the Day on tape. Um, I didn't have the singles uh, when they came out. So um, I didn't originally have this tune. I think I recall maybe my babysitter's daughter playing it or something like that, but um, you know, I, di- I didn't own the single myself. And then when uh, hits and B sides came out, I was like, "Wow, what a what a cool track! Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was different. Didn't sound like anything else except maybe one little riff from Sex Shooter <laughs> yeah. uh, sounded super familiar, but uh, the rest of it it was it was new to me at that time." Yeah,
0: wow, that's um, pretty much identical to my experience with the song as well. Having had Around the World in a Day on cassette, I was no longer... I never really bought 45s. It was my older sister that bought them. So that's how I knew the B-side to, like, uh, 1999 with um, How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore. Because she had had the 1999-45. But by 1985, it was cassettes. It was recording songs off the radio. So I wasn't... She wasn't buying 45s. I wasn't buying 45s. So I wasn't really... Uh, privy to this song until like you said until the the hits and the b-sides collection came out in 93 and really that collection opened my eyes to a lot um, i wasn't familiar familiar with really anything pre-1999 until that collection uh, all these b-sides were kind of opened up to to me as ah uh, some things or songs that i'd wasn't familiar with and, you know, realized that I was missing in my life basically. And it's just, it was, it was an amazing collection and this is an amazing song. And you touched on the sex shooter kind of, uh, someone almost like a sample, I guess, because I was trying to do the, the timing in my head in preparation for this episode, because she's always in my hair was recorded at the tail end of 83. Right. And but i'm like well by that time purple rain movie would have already wrapped filming because um, you know by that time they were starting to get into post-production and you know prince would have to record a couple more songs to fit like montage scenes like when does cry and take me with you but all like the filming of the movie was done and of course we all know anybody's familiar with the movie sex shooters in the movie so it would have had to have been done by december late december of 83 right It's a very minor part of it, but it's in the song and it's, and it's memorable because it kind of um, it has that just that interesting synth line that just gets stuck in your brain. At least it does for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just such a iconic aspect of the song, I feel. <laughs> do you agree Definitely. with
1: that? Definitely. I do. Um, and I think to put kind of a precise point on what you were saying, I think Sex Shooter, the original tracking, initial tracking was like in April. Of '83, March or April, and this would have been December. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, definitely the the order makes sense, and he must have really liked that riff.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe you know, "Sex Shooter" was kind of. Um, I mean, I think the version of it that's used for "Sex Shooter" is maybe sped up a little bit, or it's faster, just slightly faster. This is a little more laid back. It feels, uh, which kind of you know uh, matches the vibe of the song. Right. This is an upbeat song, but it's not like. Fast and, and really danceable like Sex Shooter is so it's, it's a little more mid-tempo I guess but Yeah, I, I I love this song, you know, it wasn't um a song I knew For many years after it was released. So I was just happy to have had it at some point in my life and in terms of like Other versions of this song. There's the 12 inch new mix version, which is also found out, of course on the 12 inch Recording of Raspberry Beret, I think She's Always in My Hair was the B side to Paisley Park in other countries, if I
1: recall U- correctly. UK, I think maybe.
0: Yeah, because that was the lead single elsewhere in the world. And for whatever reason it was, you know, determined that She's Always in my hair was going to be the B side to whatever lead single it was going to come off of Around the World in a Day. And so in the United States, it was Raspberry Bray. In the UK, it was Paisley Park. But they all got it at some point just on different different A-sides. Right. And then I guess there's another version that was recorded, according to Prince Fault, in uh, August of 84. But that was scrapped. and We never we never really got that version.
1: Yeah, there's uh, Dwayne Toodle's uh, Purple Rain Studio Sessions book talks about... That one and the tracking of it, and and yeah, he he did. I guess decide to go with the original version. It'd be great to hear um the later version. At least yeah. I'd like to.
0: Oh no, I think a lot of us would for sure. Yeah. And I don't know. I with all these uh, deluxe box sets coming out over the past two th- three years, you kind of just start to think of uh, songs that would make sense to be put on these types of box sets, and just hope someday. When the estate gets around to releasing or, you know, the, they're going to put songs like this, songs that have kind of always had like this or have like this mysterious aura about them, knowing they exist, knowing that they probably sound pretty cool, but for whatever reason weren't chosen for release or, you know, the idea was completely scrapped for, you know, basically the original version, like you redid it. Prince redid it, and um, you know, must have like listened to both versions and thought, "Well, I like my original version better." Mm-hmm. So we're gonna stick with that, and this other version is gonna go back in the vault, which is fine. It's just be nice to hear because that's we're greedy Prince fans, so exactly. <laughs> we want to hear it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, just you know, this another I think just notable kind of interesting tidbit about the recording of this song that from a timing standpoint is he was you know very prolific around this time. We all know that it's been well-documented uh, his ability to just record song after song, after song. And, and really, you know, um, some of his most well-known songs came from this era, all like in this uh, few months of late 83, early 84. And I guess he had recorded Erotic City around this time as well as he was recording, She's Always in My Hair. And um, and we can fuck funk, you know, whatever version you want to call it, right. it's also recorded around that. So, two like kind of really dirty songs, and then you've got like this sweet kind of uh, thank you <laughs> song. <laughs> so, it just goes to show Prince can, you know, he can turn his mind when he's writing a song and, and be really focused on one aspect of his songwriting and one aspect of his personality, and then the next day, like, put that all aside. It's like, yeah, I've been recording some really raunchy songs lately, but this song is something I want to get out right now, and it tells a completely different story with, you know, completely different intentions. So I thought that was kind of interesting, doing those two songs, and then She's Always in My Hair right around the same time.
1: Yeah, and I think maybe Baby Nose was around the same time. Um, Next Time Wipe the Lipstick Off Your Collar Mm -hmm. seems like was, was in one of those you know, end of 83 kind of new year's Eve ish timeframe. Um, yeah.
0: Songs for himself, songs for, for others songs for, I don't know, the vault. I mean, right. Songs for for decades in the future. Very interesting. Very interesting indeed. So like when I think of this song, when I think of she's always in my hair, one thing that kind of popped into my head, uh, it, it, it almost feels a little bit like this is Prince's version of thank you for being a friend. The, the theme song from the golden girls. <laughs> I kind of get a little, thank you for being a friend or thank you for being my friend kind of vibe from the lyrics of the song, not from the, how it sounds. of course, Sure. But just like the theme and kind of like uh what its intent is. And, and, and for me, the song feels just like a thank you note, like a, Instead of like a thank you note, like a thank you card, you know, Hallmark card. Somebody buys it. And says, uh, "I just wanted to thank you for for sticking with me and thank you for being you." Just to have a kind of like a sweet sentiment that you give a really good friend of yours. Prince writes a song, and and I just thought, <laughs> I just thought, like, ah, you know, which came first? I always forget how old The Golden Girls is, and this song <laughs> came first, so. I'm going to say that the Golden Girls ripped off Prince. Sure. Right thank you for being a friend song.
1: <laughs> Let's go with that.
0: <laughs> so like, uh, what are your like just overarching thoughts about this song before we start getting into the lyrics? I mean, do do you kind of feel like it's a thank you song or you get something different out of it?
1: Uh, it depends on the day. I've had a lot of conversations about this song with people over the years. And um, I think you know when i first heard it i heard it exactly like you're describing oh how sweet you know he's he's thanking this this woman um you know for being there and being so positive even when things aren't going so well and then i started thinking about the phrase you know that when you have when something's in your hair right mm-hmm. um and it almost has sort of an annoying bothersome connotation to it too and so i started seeing it two ways like yeah, she, she's always there. She's, she's wonderful. She, you know, tells me these great things, but, oh, she's always in my hair. Right. Kind of two sides of that coin. Um, so I hear it both ways now, almost at the same time. Um, and I think part of that, you know, I might be projecting some of my life experience on it too, because, you know, I've had relationships in the past that were kind of similar to that, that, um, you know, I I did everything right. I was positive, positive all the time. And it was kind of like, yeah, well, you know, I want to do something else. You know, that, that's not exactly what I need right now. So I, I don't know. Um, like I said, I don't know if I'm projecting there, but it, it, uh, it doesn't sound or feel entirely positive to me. Maybe mostly, but there's still that thread for yeah. me at least. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I, I think about the phrase, she's always in my hair, as you mentioned, it's First of all, it's not a phrase that I've ever really used personally, and it's not it's not a phrase that I've heard used a lot to describe somebody or their relationship to somebody else. You kind of hear uh, somebody getting under your skin, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of it, it doesn't mean the exact same thing. I mean, getting under somebody's skin means that kind of bothersome, and you know they they really bother that person to the point where. Um, that they it's hard to focus uh it's hard to get them out of their head and there's very clear negative connotations with saying somebody's getting under their skin that's that's a negative uh phrase she's always in my hair to your point you know if something gets in your hair you usually try to get it out i mean that's it's not a typically a pleasant experience something in your hair that's not meant to be in there you try to get it out if it's a you know a bug or some you know piece of you know debris from wherever flies into your hair your instinct is to dig in there and grab it and pull it out because it's not meant to be there and so she's always in my hair doesn't sound like necessarily the way it's described just put that phrase as a really positive thing now could it also be uh, another way of saying like she's always in my head um and just kind of a, an interesting way of saying that, because they're very similar phrases, and even the last word of the phrase starts with the same same letter and has the same number of of letters in the word but but it's di- it's different. I mean it's not identical and I think there was there must have been a song earlier where he says something like that, and I always thought he said always in my head after hearing this i'm like does he say in my hair because they just sound so similar to me like the the phonetics of them are so similar and in your head almost makes it sound like like they're getting into your head to the point where your own thoughts are no longer your own anymore like you can't differentiate between your own thoughts and their thoughts because they've just become so intermingled in your brain that it's that's a problem i mean if somebody's in your head so much that you can't even tell what are your original thoughts and what are their thoughts that have been implanted in your brain anymore, then maybe that's time to step back. So I do get what you're saying with with maybe some parts of the song or at least some of the, the tone of the song can be perceived as a little bit bothersome or negative in some ways. The The verses don't really indicate that though and and so that's why it's it's very easily to interpret the song as being a, a thank you note or a positivity type you know uh acceptance of somebody's in their life as being a as a as a positive because the verses really reinforce that i feel so it's 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 interesting i guess is what i'm trying to say there so
1: the phrase uh in someone's hair when I remember hearing it in the past, it's in the connotation of uh, whatever or whoever is doing this is impeding my productivity, <laughs> right? Like, I, I think of adults when I was a child. Oh, you kids are in my hair, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're getting in the way. And so when I hear this, I don't hear it as a negative statement against the person that it's about, but rather, you know, you being in my mind is so distracting. I can't get things done. Right, M- more mm-hmm. along, more along those lines. Yeah. Um, but yep.
0: I think as we start going through the verses here, and I'll read the first verse. You'll people who are listening to the song and listening to the show will kind of understand why we're a little bit at odds about, you know, the the, the chorus and the phrase she's always in my hair versus what is being sung about leading up to that because the first verse goes Feel like giving up whenever my sunshine turns to rain, whenever my hopes and dreams are aimed in the wrong direction, she's always there telling me how much she cares. She's always in my hair. So if you just read that verse, you're thinking, okay, this is a, a person who is in my corner, you know, it's it's somebody who has that confidence and really trying to build somebody up who's feeling down i mean prince is showing some vulnerability here he's you know exhibits a level of vulnerability that he doesn't often do uh you know a lot of his vulnerability in early songs have been related to relationships or you know his love life not so much about just in general things that uh you know his hopes and dreams or you know wanting to achieve whatever it is that he's trying to achieve that's always it's always kind of come across that he's been very confident in that and very self-assured and knowing what he wants going after what he wants and succeeding and getting that because he puts in the time and the effort and the work and has the the work ethic to get there but this is uh this is him really showing vulnerability and and showing some self-doubt and um you know, and needing the, somebody else to prop him back up a bit and get him back on the right path. And that's just a it's just something that you just don't hear a lot. At least, you know, up until this point, you don't hear this a lot in Prince's songs.
1: No, I think you're right. Um, One thing th- that stands out to me in this verse um, is the fact that, you know, when he says, whenever my hopes and dreams are aimed in the wrong direction, what he doesn't say is she points me in a different direction. Right. She, mm-hmm. she, she doesn't redirect or try to correct. She's just there showing support. Right. Um, and that's always kind of stood out to me too. And it, and it makes me laugh a little bit because if you read any of the accounts of, you know, the Genesis of this song, who it's about and, and that sort of thing. Um, uh, Jill strikes me as the type of person that would challenge him. <laughs> um, I hope she listens to this at some point. Uh, I mean that in, in all affection. Um, it, it it does, um, you know. She does seem like the type that would have challenged convention with him. But this verse is highlighting, you know, she's there for me. Um, I think that's really cool.
0: Yeah. In case it wasn't clear to anybody listening, the the, the it is widely believed that this song is written about Prince's friend and protege at the time and part time lover, uh, Jill Jones. So jill jones was a backup singer for tina marie prince met her years before like in the very early 80s and you know kind of recruited her to to join his camp and you know be a part of his musical um, successes and evolution as you know he started to build additional groups like the time and vanity six so he didn't have her earmarked for vanity six uh, that already had three members, and she wasn't there for that. But she, the you know most people's first um, well, there's really two really kind of iconic moments for Jill Jones in the in the Prince sphere. And the first one would be the, the music video for 1999. She was a co-singer on that, along with um, Lisa Coleman and Des Dickerson. And she's in the music video, blonde hair um she's got the the hat on and the glasses and you know looking really cool and um that's probably a that's a lot of people's first you know vision of jill jones and then we see her again of course in the purple rain movie she plays the waitress that you know lets apollonia in and she has like this unrequited crush on prince's character the kid throughout the movie you know her her um her character arc in that film, maybe it was probably a lot of that was left on the cutting room floor from what I've read. There was probably more for her to say and do in that movie, but she still left a mark. I mean, it's still a memorable character and she left her mark on that film. But where her mark is really left with is, the you know, her vocal ability. She's a very talented singer, very strong singer, and, you know, she vocalized a lot on the 1999 album Um, her vocals are all over you know various protégés albums as well especially you know some of the albums the singers weren't the strongest they needed some background singers to to kind of make them sound a little little more pumped up and um, a little more professional Jill was there to to provide that and often uncredited in that as well Uh, We we see Jill again later in the 80s with the solo album, self-titled solo album that had been in the works for years. Uh, Finally saw the light of day in 1987 on on the Paisley Park label. It's a brilliant album. You know, widely considered one of the better, or if not the best, um, protege album of the 80s for sure. And then really kind of the last thing we see of Jill in the Prince world is in the movie Graffiti Bridge. And then after that, um, you know, I think I'm not going to speculate too much, but from what I've read, the two of them had a little bit of a falling out and we didn't see much of Jill in Prince's music or in his, uh, you know, videos or on, you know, the liner notes or anything. There was never a follow up Jill Jones album on Paisley Park label or NPG label so that's that's who this song is supposed to be about basically prince is thanking this this woman who's been a part of his life at this point for a couple of years and and really just always there living you know in minneapolis and twin cities it's not where she's from but she lived up there during the recordings of of 1999 in purple rain and really just um being that kind of all-star off the bench you know like you've got this person on on your bench basically she was on the bench she wasn't in a band she wasn't you know a member of the revolution technically but you can call on her to hit a home run basically a designated hitter that's the analogy i'm looking for right <laughs> like a really strong designated hitter for a baseball analogy where you don't need her for everyday use but when you do need her she needs to get a hit and she needs to come through with with a big the big splash, and and she was the the unsung hero. I would say would be one way to kind of describe her um, contributions.
1: I completely agree. I wanted to say too that my, I think my favorite, um, fairly recent discovery, just simply because I was too young when it first came out, uh, regarding Jill, is her appearance in the video for Automatic.
0: Mm, yes, um, that's awesome. Absolutely <laughs> love
1: it. Um, but yes, to your point, her vo- vocal ability is incredible. Her solo album, you know, for anyone who doesn't have a copy of it or hasn't heard it, try. Uh, I hope it gets re-released at some point. It, it's incredible. She's mm-hmm. super talented.
0: Right. She is. She is. And But she has a very strong personality. And, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, anybody who follows Jill on social media will catch wind of that right away. And so I think, like, And, you know, she's had she's done interviews where she's kind of expressed like maybe sometimes her strong personality rubbed people the wrong way or was perceived as something that it really wasn't. Um, But I think Prince trusted her, uh, her opinion. Uh, I, I don't have any reason to believe otherwise, but I also don't have any proof of this. But I would say, like, considering that he kept her around as, you know, as a confidant and a friend as long as he did tells me that he trusted her Uh, you know prince is not was not the type of person i don't think to keep people around that he didn't trust right um and so the fact that she was with him as a friend but more importantly as kind of like a almost like a muse musical muse at times and, and somebody who who he whose opinion he really valued in addition to her talent uh, and she's kind of like a no bullshit type of friend. You know, people have those friends that you you ask questions, the tough questions to, because they know that they're going to give you a really honest answer. Even if it's not the answer you necessarily want to hear, they're not going to sugarcoat their answer. They're not going to tell you what you want to hear if it isn't the right thing. And and Jill always kind of comes across in her interviews and anytime I've seen her speak. Uh, as that type of person, and I imagine she was that type of person for Prince back in the 80s.
1: Definitely. um, Speaking her mind, you know, sharing what she felt, but also the thread of this song, loyalty. You know, she was there when things weren't going well, right? Yeah,
0: loyalty, big time. Yep. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, with this first verse, he's telling all these, he's talking about all these things that he's feeling that are, you know, not so great wants to give up uh, you know it's a rainy day emotionally you know, like things are not happening for him like hopes and dreams aimed in the wrong direction and you're right she does he doesn't say she gets him on the right path he just she's just there and tells him how much she cares and sometimes that's enough you know sometimes that's what the person needs right. they don't necessarily need another person to get in their head and talk to them about what's right and what's wrong and what they need to do in order to change their career path or make the right decision, sometimes that person just needs to figure it out themselves and they need a support system to help them figure it out and give them time to figure it out. And that's kind of what this first verse is implying, at least to me. And and you brought up that good point that really that's what it does.
1: It also kind of occurs to me that, um, you know, Prince is known for having Multiple meanings in a single line of of lyrics, right? Um, I think about with the the phrase "she's always in my hair" or the sentence "she's always in my hair." I can also envision someone playing with his hair, right? Mm. Like yeah. affectionately, gently being there and playing with his. You know, so something like that too. You know, it it takes on even more of that. Uh, you know, gentle, loyal. Um, steady presence right um i can hear that in it as well
0: yeah and if that's if that's true you certainly don't just let anybody do that
1: right it's yeah. a very intimate thing
0: exactly that's that's really kind of held for just like the significant others or the closest of friends and yeah i mean the fact that she's a woman um doesn't hurt i mean i don't think that prince's best male friend would be allowed to play in his hair, but um, (laughs) (laughs) nevertheless, maybe, I don't know, but I don't see, you know, I don't see Andre, Simone, uh, playing around in Prince's hair at any point. So the fact (laughs) that if that's another alternate thought about this uh, chorus, you know, the line, she's always in my hair, you're right. It does does speak a lot to closeness and a level of, of trust and intimacy that really good friends, whether or not they're intimate physically or not, is not even that relevant, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay, so then the chorus is just, she's always in my hair. I mean, it's, it's he just repeats it and he sings it um, a couple different ways and repeats my hair, you know, so then you just kind of get that, that chorus to repeat the last line of the verse and um, no additional lyrics in the chorus. It's just a way to kind of reiterate the point and reiterate the title of the song and, and get some more really kind of cool musical aspects. Um, he sings it kind of in a higher register. Like he goes upwards in his register as he sings the line. She's always in my hair. Uh, D'Angelo does a really good version of this song. Yes. From the late nineties. I think it was on the screen Two soundtrack. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I normally, you know, covers of Prince songs tend to just be like, eh, okay, it's fine. But you know, the D'Angelo's version is really good. Um, it's got like this really kind of uh, more rock and roll vibe to it with a strong like funk in it as well, like a rock and funk type version of the song. And and D'Angelo's vocals in the, the cover really excel with this song, the way he's able to like stretch the lines and, and really just belt it out, you know, in a way that maybe Prince doesn't even really do that much in this song. He kind of keeps the vocals pretty tame. You know, you don't get a lot of of isms in this song, in particular, <laughs> Um he doesn't sing it in his high register, he doesn't need to do falsetto, he doesn't have a lot of screams. I mean, there's there's always a little bit of something, some embellishments in just about every Prince song, but he sings it pretty evenly keeled throughout, though.
1: He does. He's got some vocal techniques that you don't hear in a lot of other songs, like he does a lot of, like, scooped uh, notes, glissando, that sort of thing. Um and you know, I'm with you on on D'Angelo's cover. Uh, I'm pretty snobby and protective of covers of Prince <laughs> tunes. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't usually like them, but this one I think D'Angelo just nailed it. Um, it's it's really really good.
0: Yeah, that's right. The last episode we did the beautiful ones. We briefly talked about uh, Mariah Carey's cover of the song. Yeah, uh, you'll never hear me say that Mariah's version is better or equal. Okay, so then the second verse of the song is Whenever I feel like not too great at all Whenever I'm all alone And even if I hit the wrong notes She's always in my boat She's always there telling me how much she cares She's always in my hair So I I really like that first line Whenever I feel like not too great at all Because it's just It sounds awkward when I'm reading it But he makes it sound effortless You know, when he sings that line And it's just a I don't know. It's just very casual. It's just like a very casual phrase. Like it's something that somebody says very casually. So to write that down as a lyric, when oftentimes, you know, you'd almost self-correct, like if you're writing a line, like whenever I feel like not too great at all, you typically, you know, writers would want to correct that. And just like whenever I don't feel too great or whenever I don't feel great. And right. you don't really write it the way that you're saying it. But in this, in this verse, in this line, he writes it and sings it exactly how it's, you know, like somebody casually is talking to somebody else or describing an emotion. Like, how do you feel? I don't know. Like, not too great. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what people say, you know, when, but oftentimes that doesn't get written down that way. What else did you see in the second verse or, you know, anything that pop out to you that you liked?
1: A couple things. One, uh, when you were mentioning the, whenever I feel like not too great at all, um, it makes it match the first verse, right? When when he starts with whenever I feel like that, that you yeah. know, whenever I feel like phrase. So that's pretty clever. Um, the other thing that, that stands out to me in, in this verse is that, you know, talking about she's always in my boat, you know, this was the 1983 version of what we would come to know as a ride or die,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. right?
1: Um, you know, no matter what goes wrong, she's there's a storm, the waves are splashing all around, uh, you know, whatever. She's in, she's in the boat, like not on the shore yelling, hey, be careful, <laughs> but in my boat with me. Um, and I, I always, I love that particular line, you know, if I make mistakes. And here's something interesting too, When he ever, when he says, whenever I'm all alone. So that to me says, when I'm by myself, part of her is still with me. She's still in the boat with me. Which, you know, speaks to the being in his head, right, being in his hair, you know, whatever you want to say, Um, that her influence and her uh, supportive voice is is there even when he feels alone or is in fact alone.
0: Yeah, interesting, because you can also think about that line, whenever I'm all alone, as talking about, you know, his current relationship status. So... Mm -hmm. Prince was at this time as widely kind of known was a serial dater. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he had a lot of girlfriends bouncing around between women. You know, he usually had like one girl that was kind of like his uh, main girlfriend at the time. And I guess late 83, I don't even know who that was. This was before uh, Susanna, but uh after vanity. So maybe he was between, main squeezes at this time or maybe this is you know he and sheila were working together on this type too so i don't know but i'm not here to speculate on his love life but you know the whenever i'm all alone also can tells me a little bit like when i'm between girlfriends or Mm -hmm. when i don't have that person that's you know number one and on my my list she's still going to be there Um, and all alone meaning I'm not dating anybody I can still always rely on Jill to to be there for me in whatever ways that I need her for and so sometimes I mean I hate to say it but is it also like she's always kind of there for me in ways more than just emotional support I don't know no I mean I think that there's there's probably a little bit of that as well and we'll get to another line later in the song that you start to wonder, like, God, did she, did she, if I'm listening to this song and I'm hearing some of these lines, do I think it's flattering some of these lines or do I think maybe I'm not, I'm not being treated the way that I deserve to be treated if I'm this important to this person? So up to this point, it's all good, you know, but as we kind of touched on earlier, like, "Eh, maybe there's some things in here that could be perceived as not so great. Not too great at all, even. so <laughs> nice. I think, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just an interesting song because on the surface, it's it says one thing, but digging a little bit deeper, you start to think. And also, I mean, granted, we have the luxury of decades of um, Prince' biographies and and you know Jill's accounts and other people's accounts of what was going on at that time, whether it's luxury or whether it actually, uh, maybe a little bit um, harms our perception of the song that, you know, it is what it is. But we have, we're privy to things that maybe, or not maybe, most people weren't privy to in 1985 when the song came out. So we have a little more knowledge about stuff that we can we can then project into this the song's lyrics, whether or not we should or not, it's impossible not to do, I think.
1: And everyone hears things in their own life con- context too, right? So we even read into them, like I mentioned in the beginning, uh, our own experience that that gives it certain color and, and perspective.
0: Yeah. And I do like that even if I hit the wrong notes, she's always in my boat. So hitting the wrong notes, once again, just like, you know, other lines in the song um, can really be perceived as more than one thing. Like, you know, the, she's always in my hair can mean literally or figuratively, uh, hitting the wrong notes could also be you know, thought of literally and figuratively as well. So right. being a singer, you could hit some wrong notes on occasion or just wrong notes, meaning like not a great decision, maybe not the right choice for that moment. Uh, so it's kind of just, you know, a, a good way of, of making a line have multiple meanings based off of the fact that it's, uh, you know, there's actual literal things that Prince does that can make that line work, not just figuratively. Like if you and I say uh, we hit the wrong note on that, we're not talking about singing, you know?
1: Right, exactly. We're not
0: musicians, we don't sing. So obviously nobody's going to think that we hit the wrong notes in a song that we sung. But when Prince says it, you know, it goes a different direction.
1: I've always loved the uh, the synth stab on that phrase too, uh, specifically on the word notes. Even if I hit the wrong notes. Um, it's not technically a wrong note. What you know, that makes me laugh, but it's different from anything mm-hmm. else in that verse.
0: Yeah, good point. Good point. Okay, so then the chorus is the same again, so you know, it's just he repeats, she's always in my hair. And uh we get to another verse. And this is the <laughs> this is an interesting verse. Prince does that. <laughs> those third verses tend to deviate from the structure that had already been Uh, previously established in the song. third verse he says maybe I'll marry her maybe I won't maybe I will not let me tell ya and I think in the back then or there's a um, backing vocal even if I was a gigolo Uh if I was a gigolo all my life she'd still be there telling me just how much she really cares she's always in my hair so we've got an echo going on with the maybe I'll marry her maybe I won't those lines get um, echoed behind them just Prince, Prince's own vo- voice. It's not somebody else's voice. It's not like a you know backing vocal by Wendy and Lisa or even Jill for that matter. Um, so these uh, these lines, it's like I don't know how to take it. You know, <laughs> maybe I'll marry her, maybe I won't. You know, it's like if I'm singing that to somebody, am I supposed to? How am I supposed to take that? You know, how if I'm Jill, how am I supposed to take those lines? Like you, you love me enough to keep me around. And then you tease me by saying maybe I'll marry you, but then you take it back. Maybe I won't. You know, I don't know. So and then, then he guess, says it
1: again. Maybe I will not. Like he emphasizes.
0: The, maybe the I won't. will not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> not maybe I will not. I I will not. <laughs> you know, is the, the ultimate answer. But you know, in 1983, late 1983, yeah, I think uh, maybe the sentiment was nice. You know, maybe you know she's she's this close to me. We're this we're this close that that marriage is actually something I considered or even thought about but maybe it's a big joke too maybe uh and I'm saying maybe a lot too just like he does in this verse but it could also be a joke like maybe she's already in on the joke it's like huh, ah, maybe I'll marry a Jill and she's like yeah fuck you Prince you won't marry me you <laughs> know I mean, we don't know um we don't know if it's it's you know, she was in on it and she just finds it humorous. Or if it's hurtful, like if she really cared about it. I keep going back to uh, her character in Purple, Rain*, How how much she loved the kid. Uh, you could see it on her face, you know, and, and he never really talks to her or pays much attention to her. And I know that's not, that wasn't, that did not mirror Prince and Jill's real life friendship and relationship. But sometimes it makes me wonder, like, is he kind of using her a little bit? Like walking all over, like stringing her along. Maybe stringing her along is the the right or more appropriate phrase. And, you know, that's, that's not a great thing to do. So, I don't know. What are your thoughts on this?
1: Uh, I recall reading an interview, I don't remember when, but where Jill talks about this specifically, and that line maybe I'll marry her, maybe I won't. That was the sticking point for her. Um, she said that you know that prince basically offered this song to her as an apology and she was like really maybe i'll marry her like you think that's an apology like i really want to hear that you know and uh he was like what i, I thought i thought you'd like the song and you know she was like really maybe you think i'm gonna like the word maybe um so she heard it like we did right okay. like you know we're, we're going through the first couple oh this is really cool and then maybe uh, maybe i won't what <laughs> where did that come from? Right. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you know, he, she said that he offered this as, you know, an apology and olive branch sort of thing. Uh, he, I guess, intended for it to be received uh, positively. And, and she heard that part too, <laughs> that we did.
0: Well, what's funny is that even if he um, got that reception from her, like once again, we don't get the impression that Jill held back. When giving Prince her opinion of of the song, or at least this part of the song, but he never changed it. It's not like he like, oh, whoops, you know, I missed the mark on that one. Let me, I intended this to be, you know, kind of really playful and fun, and like we said, an olive branch, also a so- an apology. Oh, it didn't it didn't really resonate that way with you. Okay, maybe I'll fix the lyrics or change the lyrics. No, he didn't. No. Nope. <laughs> he just he just left it. So. I don't know, but anytime I hear maybe I'll marry her, maybe I won't. It seems kind of like a shitty thing to do or shitty thing to say to me.
1: If you're trying to apologize to someone, you might not put that line in.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and maybe that's why I, I added the little um, oh uh, self editorial where I thought maybe maybe Jill was in on and she thought it was funny. Just because why else would he leave it in if it was hurtful? And eh, okay, so, you know, per, per the account that she gave, that really wasn't the case, so it is what it is, she uh, she had accepted the way it was written, because he didn't change it.
1: Yeah, she said, I think it was in the same interview, or maybe uh, one around the same time, um, that she really wasn't a huge fan of the song, um, you know, she didn't really like it, and I don't know if her opinion has since changed, right, uh, with, mm-hmm. with time and time and context and all that, but yeah, it. From what Jill described, it definitely was not received in the way that he thought it would be.
0: Sometimes you, sometimes you get a bullseye, and sometimes you don't hit the the dartboard at all.
1: Sometimes it, you hit the wrong notes, right? <laughs>
0: sometimes you hit the wrong notes, exactly. <laughs> so it it certainly that third verse, uh, I think, is for those of us on the outside listening. It's memorable, and it's certainly. You know, makes people think about the song a bit uh, from a different different level, more than just like, oh, how sweet, or what you know, what a nice sentiment. Maybe if I was a jiggle all my life, she'd still be there. It's like, really? Are you you're making you're jumping to some some conclusions here that I don't know if you have the the ability to do. Like, can you just assume that? I mean, because if, if she if she did care for him. And he never did propose and he never did make her his number one. You think she's, I mean, are you sure that she's going to stick by you for the rest of your life? If that's the way that, uh, you know, you, you kind of frame your, your relationship. So if they're just platonic friends, yeah, then the answer is yes. But you also don't sleep with platonic friends. Right. uh, Generally. Uh, (laughs) so you know, there was some, I think there was some really blurry lines being drawn at that time that kind of messed things up for that uh, for that to actually happen. You know, if Prince never did really make her number one, decided to be a gigolo, would she always be there? Maybe, but I think it would, at that point it was too late. Um, I think there was probably some some things that happened behind the scenes and some real emotion behind there to to almost make that impossible. And, and well, time proved us right. I mean, they didn't stay best buds forever.
1: Yeah, you know, and Jill said in interviews uh, years later, and, and she's there are other people that have expressed the same sentiment, that um, Prince's love and his true marriage was his music. Um, so no one was ever going to be number one. It was always going to be, you know, second place to the music. And, you know, couldn't, no woman was going to compete, you know, with his music. Um, And I've heard that from other musicians as well, uh, you know, who are being completely honest. So, uh, you know, I think that, you know, who knows what conversations they had, right? Mm -hmm. They may have had a conversation about, you know, what what if I was a player my whole life? Would you be here? you know, I don't know. Maybe they did. Um, mm-hmm. It sounds like kind of an arrogant thing to say, like, I could do whatever I want. You'd still be around. Um, maybe they talked about it. Maybe they didn't. I, I don't know. But uh, the fact is, and, and Jill said this herself in so many words, that that he was married to his music. And, uh, you know, she was never going to be, or no one else was either going to be number one. Yeah.
0: No, that's a really good point, And I think that is uh, probably the best way to kind of sum up, you know, uh, any kind of conversation about Prince and and relationships with women, especially in the 80s when he was just, you know, he didn't have, at least to our understanding, you know, wasn't thinking about a family quite yet, maybe still in his early to mid-20s. A lot of those things that he was singing about in the 90s, about settling down and having a baby and getting married and blah, 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 that was to come. That wasn't necessarily Prince's mindset in 1983. We didn't get a lot of songs, at least, that that talked about that. Whether or not it was in his head or not, we don't know. But all we can tell is that he didn't have a lot of songs that spoke about that, Um at least so, not in any
1: serious way, right? We had let's pretend we're married. We had, yeah. you know, beautiful ones saying, "If we got married, would that be cool?" Like yeah. just sort of casually uh, flirting with the idea, but not, not a, a serious consideration of it.
0: Yeah, I don't think anybody listens to "Let's Pretend We're Married" and thinks like, "Oh wow, Prince is really, really into the uh, institute of of marriage." You know, this right. is like <laughs> there's no ulterior motive with that at all, right?
1: <laughs> exactly okay he's not he's not talking about the weekly meal planning and you know <laughs> yeah that the, sort mundane,
0: thing. the mundane aspect of it yes exactly okay well then after the third verse uh it's just a chorus again she's always in my hair and then he goes basically goes back and repeats the first verse again Never same lines you know listen whenever I feel like giving up whenever my sunshine turns to rain whenever my hopes and dreams are aimed in the wrong direction she's always there telling me just how much she cares telling me she's always in my hair and so it's just a kind of a full circle back to the beginning of the of the song with the first verse again so um really that's that's the lyrics to she's always in my hair I mean, it's not—it's not, it's not per- my personal favorite B-side of the '80s, or in general. I like it a lot. It's a—it's a really good song, and I enjoy listening to it whenever it comes on. But I don't know. I mean, anytime somebody else does another version of a song, and I'm like, "Ooh, that's that's really strong." Either that—that's—it says two things. Either that I think that that person just kicked ass, which D'Angelo De- did, or the original version i was not like completely married to pun intended because um you know when when i have a an, an official version in my head as like the, the definitive version of a song no other version no matter how technically good it is can you know hold a candle to it like anybody does another version of you know erotic city or 17 days i'm just thinking. Nah, next right but, exactly. but with the song you know i think that there was room for improvement in the song i think there was room for interpretate or for um some you know more unique uh, aspects of the song to be kind of fleshed out and developed i think there was there was room in the song for it to be improved on which is a really rare thing, I think, for a Prince song because most people just say that they're perfect as they are and there's no room for improvement. <laughs> I don't know. What are what are your thoughts on the song overall, just without just talking about the lyrics, just in general?
1: So uh, when I first heard it, I was like, this doesn't sound like anything else I've ever heard from Prince. Like it had, you know, the the melody was different. You know, I haven't analyzed it harmonically or anything, but it just sounded different to me. And because of that, I was intrigued by it. Um, I wouldn't say that I loved it from the beginning, but um, I was intrigued. And then uh, over time, I've really come to like this tune a lot, Um, more and more over time. I will say though that I think that the fact that it sounded so different lent itself very well to D'Angelo's sort of uh, boho soul funk sensibility. Mm -hmm. um it you know it I could picture him in my head performing it when I heard I was like oh yeah that's that's definitely at the end you know that fits him really well um so you know yeah that's sort of the take that I had on it um I like this this song more and more as time goes on not just lyrically but but overall and I you know there's live versions of it that that are incredible too. And, and I think that it really, uh, it breathes a little bit more and you, you hear more of that, uh, well, depending on when it, when and where it was performed, the, the rock edge, um, which I think is, is really nice with this tune in particular.
0: Yeah. D'Angelo, Andre 3000, they, they have like that same kind of sensibility of the late nineties, early two thousands that really lend well to singing either a cover of this song or, similar versions or similar similar styles of this song thematically the song doesn't fit on purple rain at all it doesn't seem to fit on around the world in a day so as it was just it, it was a b-side it was destined to be a b-side because it is so different and doesn't really match the tone of it's not it's not um poppy enough for purple rain it doesn't have like you know, the the Lindrum machine sound that was really kind of uh, framed 1999 in Purple Rain. And the the guitar is there, but it's not theatrical guitar. It's just more like serves the song guitar. And then around the world in a day, it just, I mean, I don't know, just there's too much going on in that album for this to really fit. And, And it would have been like one of the oldest songs to, for the album if it was actually included on the record with most of that album being recorded in 84 and this was a late 83 song so it was almost like it was too dated it didn't really match the the theme of what prince was going for with around the world in a day the instrumentation wasn't experimental enough or you know it just didn't have whatever edge that it needed to to make that album so i think a b-side is is the perfect place for it and um, i really you know, enjoy the song quite a bit as well. It's just one of those songs that I think can be interpreted and improved on, or at least interpreted and done in a different way that's equally appealing where most print songs I can't say that. So I guess that's my my final word on it.
1: yeah, I loved uh, you know, there's a version of it on the Raven to the Year two thousand video that's really good. Um, And then I also liked some of the live versions that I've heard and seen in like Third Eye Girl era, Mm -hmm. uh, 2013, 2014 time frame. And, you know, again, that rock edge really comes through. And and I think that's what this um, this song may have needed. I I think it it just, uh, you know, brings out the best in, in this particular tune.
0: Yeah, this was a song that he did play quite late into his career live. Not so much even when it was first out or even during the eighties on any of those eighties tours. Didn't play it on the uh, you know, the Purple Rain Tour, didn't play it um, on the Parade Tour, Sign of the Times. It was yeah, he pulled it out later, like in the nineties mm-hmm. and in the two thousands, and maybe by that time, you know, he had the live band that he wanted and felt like could really uh, elevate the song beyond its its recorded version and maybe that's why some of the live versions are the versions that we we consider some of the the best out there of this song because it's it's taken to the next level you know the basis was already there the bass version of the song was already there and then he had the band to take it somewhere else that that makes it even more interesting and so yeah that's that's a good point The the whole live version of this song is you could probably listen to multiple versions that you could find on YouTube or wherever and really get something different out of each one, depending on who his band was or who was in his band at the time. So
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Very cool. All right, Leslie, well that brings us to the end of this episode. Um, Do you have any place that you'd like to share with listeners about where they could find you or say hi?
1: Sure. Um, on Twitter, I am Malenga, M A L E N G A. On Instagram, I think today my username is Leslie underscore thirty one twenty one. I change it periodically. Um, <laughs> I, it's partly print stuff, but it's uh, partly uh, miniature pictures of, of my miniature pinchers and uh, Peloton thing. You know, it, it's not just a prints account. It's right. <laughs> it's pretty eclectic. So, but yeah, feel free to to friend me, add me, and uh, especially if you want to talk about prints, I'm always down for that.
0: Cool. This has been the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast. I've been your host, Jason Brenninger. You can get a hold of me through the Press Rewind pod moniker on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I recently launched um, a Discord for the for the podcast. So look for the Discord invite link in the show notes. And I also have it posted on my social media. So if you're interested in chatting about Prince with other Prince fans, fam, friends whatever you want to call us we're all together trying to get i'm trying to get a bunch of us together on discord so i'd love to have anybody who is interested in that platform interested in that app to find find me there find us there and um you know talk about prints that's what that is all about and i guess until next time thank you and goodbye